right, folks, it is my great honor and privilege to introduce you to Dr. Michael Staples and to introduce Dr. Michael Staples uh, to you. Uh, Michael is, you're from Pittsburgh. Uh, are you from Pittsburgh or you just spent some time, formative time in Pittsburgh? Your spiritual home. If you, it, it's, if you had, if, if God recreated you, reincarnated you as a city, it would be Pittsburgh. Um, black and gold. Yeah, black and gold. All right. Uh, so we did not actually meet then because both Trent and I were educated in, in Pittsburgh. But, um, but you have a, a really remarkable story about um, the Duquesne blessing and sort of revival there. And, uh, but you're fairly new to this role president of Scripture Union. You spent some time as a missionary, uh, a lot of time actually as, as a missionary, uh, and you are um, now uh, here. You brought your daughter, remind me, of your Gina. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. Goes to Duquesne. All right, well, we can't wait to hear about that. Uh, so uh, I, I'm really excited about this, and thank you all so much for, for being here. Uh, next week, we have um, Dr. Justin Holcomb, the Reverend Canon Dr. Justin Holcomb, who's a friend of mine. He is the Canon for Vocations in the Diocese of Central Florida. He's written a number of books and articles and things like that. Um, particularly, he, he wrote on, uh, the, the first time I heard of him before we got to be friends, he and his wife wrote a book on uh, healing from sexual abuse. And so he's a, he's a tender and deep thinker with a variety of broad experience. He used to teach, I think, at UVA. Uh, but he is a great guy. He will be with us next week. So I hope that you will join us for that. I've been wanting, since I got here, wanting to bring Justin Holcomb to us. But we have Michael Staples tonight, and we're so excited about that. Uh, we've had a little technical difficulty. I'm really sorry about this. Our, uh, apparently our projector is a little uh, older than it ought to be. Uh, but aren't we all? So, um, um, so without further ado, thank you so much. Great. What a, can you hear me okay? Yes. Great, great. Well, what a wonderful crowd tonight. This is just awesome on a Wednesday night uh, where the snow is coming down heavy. And <laughs> our, our main office is in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, uh, just outside of Philadelphia. And um, they let me know early this morning that none of them were going to make it. So I, I told them to get their cross-country skis on. <laughs> but uh, hey, thank the Lord for the good weather we're enjoying here. Uh, thank Lord for the beautiful sanctuary that God has, has blessed you with, the property, the, the, the beautiful view of the river. I thought I went to the prettiest church in town. Uh, we live over in Ponte Vedra side in Nocatee and go to St. Francis in the field. And um, we have a very pretty sanctuary and, um, and, and a lot of other places on the grounds that are pretty, you know, the, the prayer garden and we do the, you know, the steps of Jesus on Good Friday and walk the grounds. And there's just a lot of neat, neat places there that are very sacred 
and um, just speak to my soul and my soul longs uh, for those quiet moments. But you have that kind of place here too. And uh, so I felt very much at home when I came here. Great to have met your pastor, your, your priest, uh, and also Father Trent. The Lord's blessed you with just a wonderful team here and appreciate the, the, the warm, hospitable, friendly way that you all are. I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't get to spend some time with you at dinner. We were, you know, messing around with the devil in here. I mean, the uh, computer. <laughs> And, um, you know, this is, this is one of these, these presentations that was already disjointed, and I was relying on the PowerPoint to kind of tie it all together, so um, we're just going to have to rely on the Lord to tie it together tonight. You know, the, the Holy Spirit has a way of, of working through these things. I was working through a passage in Acts the other day through one of our devotionals, and, um, you know, the apostles had headed out on a mission with a particular agenda in mind and a, and a formula they had followed over and over again. And then the enemy came in and set up all kinds of obstruction and they couldn't preach at the synagogue and they couldn't do the normal things they did. And so they ended up going down by the river to meet with Lydia and a, and a women's prayer group. And it turned out to be sensational. And the second half of that verse suddenly flipped and shifted as they said God's presence was with them. And so sometimes when our best plans fail, you know, the Holy Spirit has something else for us. And so we, we take comfort in that. And even if it isn't sensational, we look to hear his voice in the midst of it. And one of the things that I've been looking to grow in as a, believer in recent years is to develop better listening, better listening to God, better listening to people, more quietness, less talking. Uh, maybe it started when I went for my baccalaureate graduation when I was getting my, my doctorate at Fuller some years ago, and the night before the graduation they had a baccalaureate service. Uh, the head of the School of Psychology was speaking. And he was saying, a lot of you are pastors and you've learned to do a lot of talking. You've become skilled at communication. But you're not all that skilled at listening. And you need to learn to listen better. And my teenage son, who was about 16 at the time, he's now 31 and teaches here in Jacksonville at a Christian school, was nudging me with his elbow and he says, he's talking to you, Dad. <laughs> Funny how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, you know, and uh, so that was that was good. Um, but anyway, so we're going to hear from the Lord tonight. Uh, let me open with a word of prayer. I'll tell you a little bit about myself, tell you a little bit about, about the ministry, and we'll go from there, okay? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for bringing us together, a wonderful crowd in a in a beautiful, God-honoring, God-glorifying property and parish and church building that was constructed to lift up and praise the name of Jesus. 
and to bring honor and glory to God. And yet we fill this place not to glorify a building, but to be the church and to grow in you. And during these Lenten weeks, as we discuss and as we reflect upon what does it look like for us to, to draw closer to you, to enter into a deeper awareness of your presence and union with Christ, and to discover what it is that you're wanting to do in us and through us. May we be good listeners. May we hear you in, in different ways. And, um, and if there's disciplines that are going on this month that cause us to maybe live our lives a little more simply or to be a little more aware of having fewer things, Use that to imprint upon our hearts and minds the things that you want to be important to us. And do that tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was born in Montreal, Canada. Uh, we were sixth or seventh generation Anglicans. My great, 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 whatever, grandfather came over to Newfoundland as a stowaway as a teenager during the Napoleonic Wars when his mother died. And uh, he was just a little guy, probably nine years old, and ended up in the cold of, of uh, Newfoundland. And um, there was a man that took him in and used to beat him with the Book of Common Prayer. <laughs> that guy died when... when uh, my great, 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 whatever, his name was John Coffin. And uh, the bishop took him in under his wing and raised him. And he became a lay Eucharistic minister. And all of his children became either priests or lay Eucharistic ministers and school teachers. And every generation from then on, as they began to move throughout Quebec and onwards, became either school teachers that were also lay Eucharistic ministers or priests. So it was really, really quite interesting to see how through that one young man and the bishop's imprint on his life, <coughs> several generations went in that direction. And um, we moved back and forth across the border a few times growing up, ended up in Pittsburgh uh, in time for the Steelers to start winning Super Bowls. And <laughs> um, sorry. This should have been Jacksonville's year. You beat Pittsburgh twice, but it's kind of hard when you're playing in the National Fixed League. <laughs> and you've got Roger Goodell, best friend in New England. <laughs> and so, you know, we share the same pain. But in Pittsburgh, it's where I came to know the Lord through the charismatic movement that was happening out of Duquesne University and hitting all of the denominations. We were in an Episcopal church in the South Hills. That church was about as dead as a church could be, uh, which was unfortunate because there's a lot of good living things happening in Pittsburgh spiritually. And, um, and so it was through that renewal in Pittsburgh that I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and discovered the importance 
of, of knowing God's word and the importance of, of building a relationship with Christ and, and understanding him as, as Lord and Savior and friend and, and so many things. And I, and I was just grateful for the Episcopal Church's heritage in, in liturgy, but I, I wasn't understanding the sign of things to where Jesus could be more than just experienced on Sunday. And um, so I, I felt called of the Lord to go into ministry, went to Grove City College, went to seminary, um, ultimately went on and did a doctorate at Fuller Seminary, and spent a lot of years in the mission field. Uh, was in South Africa, working in that great, great country as apartheid was collapsing and into the early years of the Mandela administration, and working with street kids and working with uh, ran a college that was probably the very first multiracial college that ran in South Africa and uh, brought together the races during a time in apartheid when that was just not done. And that was a, a great, great joy to be a part of that. And then went to India and spent several years in India. Uh, spent some years teaching in a university and um, established a ministry working with kids who um, were abandoned, abused, and neglected. This was here in the state of Florida. We were residential, but we were a Christian ministry and uh, could take in the kids that were basically throwaways. And um, when Scripture Union reached out to me four years ago and said, we want you to come in and develop our ministries, <coughs> it was really, really great because the history of Scripture Union is 150 years old last year. And it started in London during the time of the Industrial Revolution with Church of England roots going in during a time when the Industrial Revolution was leaving kids as laborers and leaving them behind educationally, spiritually, emotionally, and, and in so many other places. And we started with a man who saw these kids walking aimlessly on the beach and called them over and took the seashells and the pebbles and, and told them to write out John 3.16. And these kids wrote it out. And they said, what does it mean? And he quoted John 3.16 to them. And, uh, and he was a great storyteller. And he acted it out. And the kids were just so enthused by him that the very next morning, these kids and a whole bunch more were there waiting on him. And uh, as they waited on him, he came out and told even more stories, and more kids came, and by the end of the week, he had over 500 kids waiting on him, and that was the very beginnings of Scripture Union, which is now in 130 nations, in many, many schools all over the world. In some countries, we're in just about 100% of the public schools, which is amazing. In Australia, the Australian government pays us to supply them with religious workers and social workers to fill the schools and to uh, teach the kids. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And, and, and it's that way in so many places. And um, we don't have that privilege or opportunity in this country. But we still seek to reach at-risk kids. And so in some of the major cities across the United States, we have set up after-school programs. We've set up summer camps, beach missions, we have over 100 programs in New York City alone just reaching at-risk kids. And uh, so that's a great, great joy of mine. And the other part that we do is to help people meet God daily 
through Bible engagement and prayer. And um, I'm going to um, show you a little video. It's a slightly older video, um, our previous president, but it'll give you a little feel for Scripture music. So let's do that. This was the only thing that was working, by the way. I just jinxed it. job as a coach, I would read something in the morning and run across that situation on the practice field, in the meeting rooms, with the media, something I was dealing with. So this is just too important. Fortunately, my wife is on the same page. We want to get our kids uh, used to reading the Bible, used to discussing it every day. The encounter with God is so topical, though. It's just so neat to get the, the commentary afterwards. You read something and then, okay, here's a little thought for the day, how you can apply it. Uh, it's just been fantastic. And if you're looking for a way to systematically read the Bible and to do it every day, I would highly recommend Encounter with God from the Scripture Union. program is called Super Kids, and basically it's a two-week-long summer event for children. It's meant for children outside of the church, completely outreach-focused for kids who've never heard about the gospel, and tells them, okay, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. And then from there, it begins to really break it down and give them a big picture of what Christianity is really all about. I think if we can help kids develop the habit of reading God's Word on a consistent basis, that we can give them tools to help them be consistent, that when they graduate, it's not dependent on a program or it's not dependent on a person. It, their faith is then dependent on the habits they've developed. So I'm so excited for you to get involved with E100 Scripture Unit. The reason why I've been involved in Scripture Unit all these years is because I believe that the secret to making the Bible come alive is to understand that it's an opportunity to meet God in His Word. And when people understand that, the Bible comes alive, their Christian life comes alive, their whole life becomes a lifestyle of meeting God every day. And I want people to know that. 
Thank you very much, Father Joe. Appreciate that. Um, I'm going to find a place where I can put this, and um, maybe I'll get rid of this one here. This is good. <clears throat> As we talk about Lenten disciplines, I want to talk about some important scriptures that speak to this whole subject. And I'm going to refer to the Matthew scripture where Jesus is speaking loudly in terms of not volume, but in terms of the powerful statement. And he's just come from feeding the 5,000. There have been all kinds of miracles. And then he starts talking about denying yourself. And, you know, this is a heavy message. And he asks the question, what does it profit a man to win the world but to lose your soul? And that's a, a very, very powerful question, a very powerful statement, isn't it? What do we do with that? How do you process Winning the world, but losing your soul. I mean, that sounds very, very anti-American, doesn't it? You know, because we, we tend to think that by winning, we're able to do more. You know, we tend to think that by accumulating more, we're in a better position to be able to do more. And there is some logic to that, isn't there? There's some logic to the sense that well, if I've got more wealth, I've got more wealth to share. Or if I've accumulated this, I'm able to be more generous or I'm able to achieve more. And, and yet the trappings of success in our culture and in Jesus' culture were the very things that we would then hang our hats on that and think, well done. You know. This goal of, of achieving could be the kind of thing that we then believe ourselves to have arrived through ourselves. So Jesus is constantly talking to the Pharisees and flipping things upside down. He's constantly taking that, that notion of, of, you know, what does it look like in what seems to be a reasonable way, and flipping it upside down. So the Pharisees could say, well, what about a divorce, Jesus? Or what about adultery, Jesus? And he would say, oh, well, I'm glad you asked. You know, if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed sin. <laughs> or, you know, if you do this, if you've got anger, you've committed murder. Jesus would flip everything around because he was speaking to the Pharisees who were trying to trap him. But in this case, he's speaking to all of us when he says, what does it profit you to win but to lose your soul? Think about that with me for a minute. Think about what the soul and the importance of the soul means. Uh, if we had the PowerPoint, you'd have it up here. You could look at the definitions. 
But the soul is the most important and precious thing that we possess. It is better than gold or diamonds. Everything in this life must be understood from this principle and reality that the soul is our treasure and is something that we want to honor and develop and grow and protect. Um, Jesus wants us to throw ourselves at his mercy and to understand that as we surrender to him, he begins to develop that soul within us. This requires a daily and a regular development. The soul just doesn't kind of happen on its own. And I think this is what's so important for us with the Lenten time of the year, is it gets us to kind of refocus and to think about what's important in our lives. And what is it that we do to grow our soul? What is it that we do to grow our appetite for God? What is it that we do to begin to think more Christianly and to be more aware of his presence in our lives? So what is the soul? Well, the soul is our being made in God's image. It's that what it's what enables us to comprehend the abstract concept of life and death and eternity and the things of beauty. It's a moral sense of right and wrong. So this soul is so critical for us. And as we look to develop the soul, look around you at the world that you live in and see the condition of this world. See the condition of our own country and and ask if there's maybe something that's missing within the development of the soul of our nation these days. Is the soul of our nation getting lost somehow? And what is it that restores that soul? Now I stand in front of you as the president of Scripture Union USA, and our heart is to help people meet God daily through the scriptures and in prayer. We do that through a number of ways. And we do it in trying to help people of all ages. But we do believe that there's great, great power to God's word. And there's a, there's a power to that word that can just cut through the confusion. It can cut through the mind reasoning. It can cut through the feelings of hopelessness. I was in New York City at one of our banquets for our New York City region about a year and a half ago, and I was downtown at Calvary Baptist, Pastor Brian Epstein, who happens to be Kathy Lee Gifford's brother. And um, there at that banquet, there was a young Latino boy about nine years old. And he had been starting to use one of our materials, and I like to show you the, what I'm talking about here. Just hand me this. We have this series called E100, and it was written by Whitney, our former president, and he actually wrote it for his children. He thought, what can I leave behind for my kids that, that'll last forever? And he decided the best thing he could do would be to come up with 100 passages of the scripture from the very beginning to the very end, that would tell the love story of God to this world. 
and, and to tell it in a way that would get, get them looking at the scripture, reflecting on it, praying over it, applying it, and thinking about it. And so he did that. And some people heard that he did that and said, well, we'd like to see what you did. And so they looked and they said, gosh, we want to use it with our kids. And then more people heard about it and then it got put into a book and then it got translated into all kinds of languages all over the world and now there's millions of copies worldwide and it's in languages such as Mandarin and Spanish and French and Cantonese and, and uh, all kinds of languages of the world. And it was developed for adults and then a, a youth edition was created for it. And then this really cool edition for, for children that um, tells the story and all kinds of pictures and discussion questions and pop-ups and, and all kinds of things. So an entire family could, could be working on it at the same time. And so this, this nine-year-old boy, his mom and dad were going through a divorce. His two teenage brothers had started using the E100, and he said to his mom, Mom, I'd like to do this. And she said, no, son, you're too young. No, mom, I want to do it. No, son, you're, you're too young. How do, how do you think this was going to play out? Right? So an Italian mom was getting louder, and an Italian kid was getting even more louder, and back and forth. And in the end, the kid won out. <laughs> but here's what's really cool about it. I sat at lunch with the mom and the boy, and then the boy got up to speak, and he grabbed the microphone, and he began to share how working through these hundred passages of Scripture just began to give him a perspective on God at work. And his mom and dad, who saw that all of their kids were getting into this, decided, well, gosh, maybe we should sit down and do this together. And they did the devotion with their youngest. And in the process of doing this, found hope through God's word to repair their marriage and to call off the divorce. And God reconciled this family and strengthened this family. And I'm watching this little young guy tell this story and watching this proud mother who has seen God and working miracles. That's what the word of God does. Amen? The word of God promises I will, it will not return unto him void. And so I have a lot of hope for this nation that if we can get God's people and, and even get the nation into his word, that word will do a lot of the speaking for us. You know, sometimes the mentality in America is, if at first they don't understand, say it louder. <laughs> like that preacher who put that in his sermon notes, if they don't understand, say it louder. <laughs> But if we can find ways to speak softly and lovingly with God's word and let God's word do that speaking, that makes all the difference. And for me, as I have begun to engage more and more with his word, it begins to open up new things in my life. It begins to point to some things that maybe I hadn't thought about before. I remember a few years ago having come to a place of frustration in my life, spiritually speaking. And I was feeling as if I was starting to coast a little bit. 
feeling almost as if I was putting God in a box and just kind of going through the motions. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way. But gosh, I was feeling that way and, and I was in ministry work. And I was thinking, Lord, this is starting to feel a bit like a game, a bit like a routine, a bit like autopilot. I don't like it because I fell in love with you and I, I don't feel that way these days. And um, I began to discover that part of my devotional life was, was missing. And um, I decided to get into a little bit more, you know, more work in terms of prayer, of quietness before God, of reflection before God. I did more spiritual retreat work. Uh, I took the scriptures and decided to meditate on them more, to think on them, and then to be quiet. And just to be still before God. And um, that, that just began to have a great, great impact. Even that sense of silence before God. I, I think we fear silence a little bit. I think we fear quietness. I don't know why it is that we, as a nation, have to be always so frenzied and busy and hurried and why our religion has to be so full of energy all the time. Because the scriptures do teach to be still and to know that I am God. And uh, the Lord began to speak to me about simplifying my life and starting to get rid of some Whoops. Get rid of some Oh, you guys are great. I enjoy talking with you. You don't miss a thing. <laughs> and I, I did that on purpose, just to see if you're okay. <laughs> but, um, but I think getting into that regular routine is so important. Um, the church has recently ordered some of our, our quarterly devotionals. You probably didn't hear Tony Dungy on the video talking about using them with NFL players. But we have a lot of NFL players and coaches that are using this on a regular basis. And from time to time, I'll talk to some of the coaches. And they'll tell me how empty some of these players are. They reach the pinnacle of success and money so fast that now they don't know who their friends are. and They don't know who to trust. They don't know who really cares about them. They feel used sometimes and discarded and empty and lonely. And um, as they engage in a Bible study led by Tony Dungy and other coaches using our materials, they're finding a sense of peace and an anchor for them. And, uh, and I thank God for that because it's the same testimony I get from the prisons where we distribute a lot of our discovery series. And we give those away for free and we, we give it to these men and women who also feel empty inside on both ends of the spectrum. There's emptiness, isn't there? But it's the same God, and it's the same hope, and it's the same joy. And we follow a format every day that takes you through the Bible in four years. You open with a prayer, 
Then you read the passage. Then the format includes something to consider. And then there's a reflection. And then there's an application. And there's a closing prayer. And what's so wonderful about it is our writers come from all over the world. They all believe in the scriptures. We have men. We have women. They're, they're all coming from a variety of, of backgrounds. It's global, and yet it's very practical, and it's about meeting God daily. And so you'll get a chance to look at that. You can even go on our website and read them for free. And, um, you know, that's, that's a way you can do it. But let me, let me hand some of these out and... Um, you know, if you'd like to keep them, I've got some other resources you can look back there and, and see if there's some things that will help you. But the soul is so important for us to develop. The soul is that thing that is most precious above all else. And as we determine God's priorities in our lives, and as we discover what's important to the kingdom of God, our souls link up with that. And then our souls begin to realign our own values. You see, our souls live forever. And within each of us, our souls hunger for so much more than what this earthly world has to offer. You know, Paul described that struggle that he had within himself. And he'd say, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I ought to do. He understood that struggle that longing that a soul has. And yet as we read Paul, we see a man that was all in. And yet he wrestled with that himself. I'm torn between the two. And he says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better. But it's more necessary for me to be here. And if you've ever read some of these accounts of people who have, have died... And maybe they were only dead for 20 or 30 minutes. Have you read some of those accounts before? And you read about them, and there's such an interesting theme amongst so many of them, where they wanted so much to stay in that place of, of love and acceptance and warmth and all the things that they described. But there was an awareness that they had to go back and finish something important here. And that's part of understanding the priority that our soul has when it connects with God's priorities. We need to see life through the eyes of the eternal. And as the soul connects with the heart of God, we then begin to see our lives through the lens of eternal significance. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, we must set our hearts and our minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Our focus then becomes the priorities of Christ. And there's an impact, and we are impacted in our view of pleasure and pain. So many people in this world today are, are just living to escape pain. Or they live to simply, you know, anesthetize themselves from the stresses of life, and just to get through another day. But as our souls become ignited with the love of Christ, as our souls hunger for what God wants, 
We no longer see the day or the week or the month as just something to get past. But we see the day as something we wake up to and say, Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. Gracious God, what do you have for me today? Holy Spirit, lead me to something that you have for me today. And then to be aware of his presence. It might lead you to something special or it might not. It might be just a day in which you are spending time with him. Or loving your neighbor or loving your family. But at the end of the day, you've been aware of his presence. And in being aware of his presence, you've learned to identify those distraction points. So one of the things I like about Lent is we try to take care of some of those distraction points. And I have been trying to eliminate sugar during this month of Lent. Um, wow. Gosh. Not easy. And um, some people during Lent they, Lent, they might eliminate television or they might eliminate carbohydrates, or they might, you know, eliminate entertainment, or there might be a number of things. What are, what are some of you doing as you're Lent? Feel free to do whatever you want. What are some of your practices to eliminate distractions? Candy, that's good. How are you feeling? Awesome. Somebody else. What are some other things you're doing? Yeah. Say, say that again. Oh, good. Excellent. Fabulous. Do you do that often? Excellent. Somebody else, what are some other Lenten practices you're doing? Yes. Nice, nice. That's wonderful. Yes. Yes. I see many of you here, and that may be more than is normal. And the church is being very intentional about building into the fabric of your lives some, some teaching and some richness to strengthen you and to, and to provide opportunities for your own personal development, your own spiritual development. And that's, that's wonderful. And being here is, is an important step towards that. What are some other practices that you're doing? Anybody else? I like the idea of service and, and visiting because that requires us to get out. That requires us to leave the comfort of the four walls of our home or the four walls of our car, unless it's a convertible, or the four walls of your office building. And, and I have discovered over the years 
that when you engage in Christian service and Christian mission, you begin to see Jesus in the lives of the people that you're visiting or the people that you're feeding at the soup kitchen or the people that you're talking to who are on the streets or the, or the people in the nursing homes or wherever God is, is leading you. You begin to see God in those faces and uh, you become aware of the presence of Christ in those places. And to me, that becomes an act of worship. And that begins to stimulate me in my own sense of growth. Uh, I used to go to a, a men's Bible study. I've been a member of All Saints Episcopal in Lakeland for a number of years. And so I moved up here a couple years ago. And we had a great, great Bible study, a men's group. But it was all focused on teaching. And once in a while I'd say to the priest, yes, we have to be solid in the word. We've got to be solid in prayer. We've got to beat the devil over his head. We've got to fight the flesh and crucify the flesh. And we've got to do all of those things. Yes, 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 and yes, right? But we also have to be mission-minded. Because as we get mission-minded, we step into the places where Jesus walks every day. You know, we, we sometimes think Jesus lives in the church. You know, but where did Jesus go? He went amongst the poor, and he went amongst the hungry, and he fed the 5,000, and he went to the lepers. And Jesus was in a lot of places where there was a lot of hurting people. And so it's an excellent Lenten practice, and, and a practice even beyond Lent to say, you know, I want to meet Jesus out there even if it's just once a month that you volunteer. Any other Lenten practices that you'd like to share with me? All right, thank you. When I look at the state of our country, one of the things that we've begun to discover as Scripture Union is that children and all the research supports this, Children have become the most spiritually receptive group anywhere. George Barna's research shows that children between the ages of 5 and 12 have a receptivity level of 37. When they reach teenage years, it drops to 4. When they become adults, it goes to about 6. So by far... Children are the most receptive spiritually. And, and there's a, a lot of reasons why Jesus made the comments he said, such as, suffer not the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom. Or he would say, if you want to come into the kingdom, you must be as this little child. Because there was a sense that a child has not yet developed that filtering system that we develop when we get a few years of cynicism put on us, whether it's by the media or by the school system or life or our parents or a broken relationship or a boy that left a girl or a girl that left a boy or, or, or whatever stuff that starts to kick in there and, and create all kinds of filters and get in the way. And there's a lot of numbers that we're beginning to see in this country in terms of the religious trends and shifts, the huge percentage of people that were once churched but now are unchurched, 
that is a growing, growing, growing number of people. There's also a huge number of people growing within the non-affiliated group, which would be atheists, agnostics, or those that are, are not claiming anything. And there's also a growing trend towards those who are into kind of spiritual, new age, or mystical kind of expressions. And then there's a growing hostile group. Sometimes it's really hard to reach the hostile group. But these other groups, they are still very, very open to finding the Lord. And um, we're finding that we can reach them through their children. Isn't that awesome? Because people want their children to succeed. And, and this is happening on a global scale. And, um, you know, I mentioned to you some of the places where we're in the school. So in northern Nigeria, Scripture Union is, is working in the schools there, which is the area where the Muslim, you know, insurgency is very, very strong. And you've heard of Boko Haram, the terrorist group. And about three years ago, they kidnapped a few hundred young girls. How many of you remember that? Every one of those girls was in our Scripture Union Club. And so these were girls that we deeply, deeply cared about and their fate. We're working in over 4,000 schools in northern Nigeria, reaching more than 6 million kids on a regular basis. And so we thank God that the Word of God is taking root in the lives of these children and, and thankful to God that these girls, even though they were were taken captive and many of them married off to Mujahideen fighters and other kinds of things, they did know the word of God and have God's word and spirit in their lives. And there's some comfort we can take with them. But the whole spiritual journey of a child, it is important for us if we're going to see this nation changed that we begin with the children. And that we're very, very intentional about this. And so something that you can think about as a, as a wonderful God-fearing Episcopalian, think about how you can invest the word of God into your children and your grandchildren. Think about ways that you could creatively get God's word into their hands. Uh, we have created a Bible app for kids. It's called Guardians of Encora. We don't sell it, we give it away. Children can download it off of iTunes or um, Google Play or any of that. They can download it for free. There's no hidden fees. There's no subscription. And they play this game and as they play this game they learn the scriptures and they begin to engage with God and they, they're thrust right into the midst of Bible stories. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that exciting? It's called Guardians of Ancora. A-N-C-O-R-A. And uh, I'll make sure the church gets that information. Okay? Uh, but I just wanted to share that with you as an option for you to be able to share that with your own kids and grandkids because it's something they can just play on their own, it's a good, clean, fun game, 
but then they're learning the Bible stories as they do that. And uh, as kids begin to process the scriptures in their own lives, they develop a mindset and a heart that's much more prepared to receive Christ as they get to that place. And one of the things that Scripture Union has tried to do in all of the years that we've been involved with children is to respect the individuality of children, to respect that children need to make a decision to follow Christ when they're ready. There are some people who get a bunch of kids together and they say, raise your hand if you love Jesus. And every kid looks around seeing who's got their hands raised and then put their hands up because of group pressure. And then kids don't always really know if they've even made a decision for Christ or if they really do love Jesus. We try to help disciple children and bring them to that place of following Jesus when they're ready. And we do that with all of our teachings and all of our devotionals. Because if you try to get somebody to make an easy believism in Christ and to pluck that fruit too soon, it can kind of create confusion for people. How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? I think it's important because if the Holy Spirit's at work today, the Holy Spirit's at work tomorrow. If the Holy Spirit is talking to a child today, he's talking to that child tomorrow. If the Holy Spirit's talking to you today, he's talking to you tomorrow. And so Scripture Union is all about helping people meet God, not in a way that makes you feel pushed or pressured or manipulated, but respects who you are, your journey, and helps you find the Lord in very, very natural kind of ways. Um, we have just a couple minutes, and I think I want to just share maybe one last thing with you. Um, let me pull this up here. It's on prayer. It's just a couple of thoughts I had about praying. There's three things I want to mention in closing about prayer. Number one, to prepare. And to begin with an expectancy of God's voice being heard at a deep level of your being. Still your mind and body and envision God as you get into the scriptures. Number two is to ponder. And to ponder in your mind and heart the mutual knowing and loving and the longing that you feel for God's longing for a deeper relationship. To humbly allow this to be a time of God speaking or touching each of us. You know, where we say, God, what do you have to say to me through this passage? And number three, to pray and to respond with words and thoughts and, and then to move to a, to a very place of still silence before God. And there's some wonderful, wonderful scriptures that speak to this. Scriptures like, come to me all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew says that. Isn't it wonderful to know that the God we serve is a God who wants our 
bears to be sweet. Who wants for us in the midst of the busyness of life, the storms of life, the craziness of life, the dysfunction of life, the pain, the hurt, the loss, the grief, to know that we can come to him and invite his peace and his stillness to take over us and to still our hearts and minds and to put aside all the other stuff and to be quiet and still and to find that restorativeness in our soul that only comes from God himself. That's the joy of Lenten practice becoming a regular practice in our lives and the joy of, of discipleship as we engage with God and his word. It transforms us and it transforms society and it transforms our families. Thank you very much and God bless you.